I always tell my wife that at the end of the day, I kind of hear voices because I might start my day writing like a witch for Bubble Witch, so about magic spells and cauldrons. And then I might spend the afternoon as somebody in the Farm Hero Saga with this yeehaw and howdy y'all, how y'all doing? And then I might end the day uh, in, in Candy Kingdom, which is a much, much quirky, completely different vibe. So I get to use all these different tones of voice along the day. So that's super interesting. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Today in Writers in Tech. So, we opened a Facebook group a few years ago called Microcopy and UX Writing. And when we just started out, we were eager to bring a discussion around UX writing uh, to the world. And there wasn't many people that were uh, down to do this, uh, that discussion. But one of the people that were actually super engaged and helped us to build our community is our next guest. His name is Mario Ferrar, and he's working as a UX writer at King, which is a gaming company. And you probably know most of their games, which is Candy Crush, and you have actually many, many more games that were created by King. And today I'm going to speak with Mario about his process of working in a gaming company. Of course, it was interesting to speak with him as usual. And now we started a new venture called uh, UX Writing Europe. I will add a link in the show notes. And basically, it's kind of an open desk, open hours for uh, UX writers that want to get in the field. You can just email them or tweet them, and they will be more than happy to help you uh, with every question uh, that you have about UX writing. And uh, that's about it. Enjoy. Hi, Yuval. Thanks for having me and thanks for the warm welcome, man. For sure, man. I'm excited to have you, you know. I'm, uh, I've been waiting for a while. This is actually the second time that we're doing this test run because we had some technical difficulties, but I'm happy because we had to speak about all of the technical stuff and now we can speak about more angles, about UX writing and where the industry is heading. Thanks for coming, man. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I mean, everything is an opportunity to learn. So I just learned what's all the backstage of doing a podcast. So for me, this is completely new and it's super interesting. So in a way, it's, it's, it's always useful, right? So, no, no, again, thanks for having me. And, and yeah, um, as you said, uh, I think for, for us that we're starting to build a community of UX writers, not only here in Spain, but also worldwide with the huge group that you have over uh, at the Facebook group, it's, it's very interesting for two things. One, because on one side, we need to help companies and product teams realize what UX writing actually is and what it isn't. And also the type of value that it provides to the user experience. And on the other side, we also have to help and provide learnings and insights to people that want to get into the craft and the people that are starting the craft. Giving them that access to other people that have been working on this for a while to, so, you know, they can ask questions, they can share insights, content, everything. And that's a great job that you're doing sort of like leading that on that side. So I thank you for that. Thanks, Mario. Well, you know, the most common question that I get asked by many, many people is how to sell UX writing for your organization, how to get your first UX writing gig, or how to make the company understand that UX writing is a big deal and a thing and we need to invest more and resources in it. And my answer is that we just need to create worldwide international awareness to this field. We need to create more content like this podcast that we're doing. We need to build a community and, and connect it together like the meetup group that you have or the 
the conference that we're organizing. We need to create more articles and we need to understand, you know, we need to have more case studies, people sharing their experience because, you know, we can study that right now at the university. And the best way to learn about UX writing today is by others people experience. And this is also the, what we're doing in the training program is just we've investigated all of the industry, understood different kinds of processes. And this is what we're trying to deliver to the community, like what processes people are having today. And I would love to learn more about your process. We've talked before about really cool process that you have, that you are working with another designer in your product team, and you're having um, this methodology in which you're creating some kind of sitcom script. I would love to learn more about that. Sure. As I was telling you before, when you're a designer and you have a visual background, it's like your default mode is let's start building some wireframes, right? Let's start building some mockups to get the creative juices flowing or to get that structure on, right? A while ago, this very, very talented designer, Sergi Villa, who I constantly ask questions, he's our principal designer here at Kin. We stumbled upon uh, this article on gathered content about proto content, right? So what proto content means is not actual final content, it's just how to approach design from like a content first type of perspective. So before we even start to, again, doing those wireframes or even mapping out the flow, we sit down and we try to write down the situation where the person is at the moment they're going to be using our product, right? So, And your product is a, a game, let's say King have a game like Candy Crush, for example, and you're yes, trying to right. understand what is the scenario that your persona, that your user or the exactly. people that using the app, on which kind of touch points of their journey are you going to meet with them, right? Exactly. So when you start writing it down this way, sort of like a, like you were saying, like a sitcom or a script for a play or something, you start empathizing much more because as humans, we tend to have the same type of problems, right? We have the same type of touch points when it comes to, in this case, games. So when you realize what that person or what that person that story is going through, you're able to pick up some certain pain points. So it mm-hmm. is obviously before you get into this, you need to have the requirements. I need to understand what is the problem you're trying to solve. So if it's something about, for example, how do we make onboarding easier? How do we help people get the information faster? So when you understand that, for example, in the case of our games, people normally use our games to sort of like step away a little bit from what they're doing from the day to day. So they might be queuing or they might be on uh, public transport or they might be just winding down when they're back home after like a hard day's work. So you need to understand or you need to sort of empathize with all these things in order to make sure that the solution that you propose is really helpful for those moments. So before actually designing, if you start writing these things down, it's a very fun exercise because we both sit down and write and these things come up and it's like, yes, I can totally rate. Yes, I can totally relate. And it gives you some points that you can later pick up and try to introduce to your design. Obviously, we always wireframe. We always create empathy maps. We always create customer journeys. But this first step helps us sort of like stop going into default mode and start thinking about different perspectives of how we can actually solve that problem. Right, because when I'm thinking about your product, I'm thinking about my mom. My mom loves to love to play Candy Crush, for example. And she's a teacher and she's need to handle many six years old in class all day and she's already older. She's like almost 60 years old. You know, she's coming back home. She's putting their, all of her bags down. She sits on the couch. And then she plays Candy Crush and it really uh, makes her happy. In just a few lines, you've just described a situation that just by listening to that, 
we can all understand what your mom in this particular case is going through a day. I mean, and for example, I'm a dad and I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So just two is a lot. I can't imagine what a <laughs> class full of six-year-olds has to be. So all these type of things get you thinking, right? And just you just described in like less than a minute. So if you start writing these things down, all these things start to pop up, right? And you can discover it easier than, because in the end, everything that we're designing, everything that we're doing is to help someone do something, right? So if, mm -hmm. if you understand better what these people are going through, well, whatever you come up with will be much better to what they need to do. Do you ever speak with your users, like having those user interviews? Is there any efforts to that direction? Yes, we have a very nice balance of big data from everything that we track from our data science team. But we also have a very nice UX research lab. The team over at UX Research is starting to build here in Barcelona. So every Tuesday we have people come here and we'll speak to them. We'll show them new features that we're working on. And especially from, from the side of, of UX writing, it's very interesting to learn like when we show them like if we communicate this in this way or if we communicate this, for example, this tutorial for this new feature in this way, which one do they understand better? What do they perceive is more helpful? What is funny? What's not? Also, it's very interesting, again, for us writers to pick up what is a language they use to describe things inside our games because then we can relate that and we can use that and put it back into the game. So instead of us trying to like bring down a set of language to the people, it's people that actually feed us back like, this is what we call this particular thing. So we see how we can meet them halfway. So I know that research-wise, there could be relevant stuff that you would want to check yourself. Is it always through the research lab or sometimes you do the UX research yourself, like uh, speaking in person with people just, you know, even like uh, at a dinner with people that use like play those games and ask them about their personal experience with your product? I mean, for now, obviously we, we do the research lab because we have it here and we have really great people. We have Chris exactly. Grant running it with, with Muriel, who's a principal researcher, and they have a whole bunch of information. But when you're out dinner with friends or with people that like now that I go with to the park with my kids and they learn that you work for King and that you do Candy Crush, everybody has an opinion and everybody has something to say because they've all played it at least once. So that also is very helpful. But again, that's that's more on like the opinion base that you can definitely retrieve. And there's something that I always tend to do is like when, when I'm on the bus or when I'm on the metro, I'll sit down and I'll look or when I'm traveling over to Stockholm to, to see the rest of our team is like you always see people playing one of our games. So it's very <laughs> interesting to see how, how they interact, uh, the faces they do, what happens. Because all of that in the end, I mean, it's, it's not... It's not contained research. It's not something that, that you have planned for. But in the end, it's like it's around you. So it's very interesting to get all those points of feedback and how do you apply them to, to whatever it is that you're doing. Right. Because sometimes like you understand, and I guess in bigger companies, it works super differently because you have a whole UX research department. But sometimes just speaking with one person, frustrated user, you can think about a really interesting feature that came out of that problem or that frustration. So that's what I asked. And, and it's really fascinating how you observe your users when you travel or when you take the commute. It's really interesting to learn about it. Yeah, and definitely. I mean, people are always willing to talk about the way they do things, right? So if, if they're passionate about a, an app or if there's something that they use regularly, they'll have input. And this is really great input because it's people that are used to seeing your interface every single day. Right. Like the team of booking.com, they sit in Amsterdam and they go to the local Starbucks and just speak with people. 
they speak with people, they invite them for coffee, and they just ask them what do they think about that copy or this copy, and, and they actually improve their products for a Starbucks coffee meeting. So it's uh, interesting yeah. to learn. Definitely, like you said, there's a whole bunch of processes and a whole bunch of methods. I think what mm-hmm. you have to do is you have to take and use whatever fits one, your team, two, your company, and three, obviously, your budget. So there's great things to do with like cart sorting or even guerrilla testing outside of the street. Is, and then there's more like established things like things we have here at King. So it depends on what you're able to do. As long as you do something, that's good. And if you still need to prove the value of it, again, same thing with writing. Start small and start getting those quick wins so you can show later on to your stakeholders, like, see, the difference when we changed this to this or the difference when we went out and researched and this is what we got from people and we include this into our, our copy, this is what we got. So the more and more you can prove all these quick wins because in the end it's very long low hanging fruit so the faster you can prove that and you have some data to back it up people can't just say no forever right i agree like as i said many times before it doesn't matter how you reach the data you can do like research forever speak with so many people do interviews go to your research team but at the end of the day like even if you speak with one person and you have this insight you can implement it immediately yeah that's about that so metaphorically speaking, what would you say that you to do? I always say we're kind of like Gandalf from <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Because in a sense, not, 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 not the wizarding part, not, we don't do magic. We're, we're basically guides, right? Sometimes we're doing magic, hey? No, no, we're, we're just guides because we help people perform the task they're set out to do when they come out to our products and services. So we're mm-hmm. there, like all this, like you can have like a great sales pitch or an amazing marketing department that are doing the job and they'll get these people inside your product or service. And then it's up to us, UX writers, to like greet them and guide them through the process. So I always use that metaphor. We're sort of like Gandalf. Interesting. What is unique about being a writer in a gaming company like King? Okay, so I think one of the things I value the most is like I get to be quirky and funny when I write because the games are that way. So the universe and the tone of voice of the games are that way. So for me, it's very, it's very refreshing, right? Obviously, cleverness and quirkiness can never go over being clear, concise, and useful. That's always my main goal, to make sure that whatever I write is always clear enough for people to understand. It's concise enough because, again, they're using a mobile device and screens are small, and that it's useful. That it'll tell them where they're at and where they have to go. And on top of that, I have to be able to juggle or, or introduce that tone of voice depending on the game. So I always tell my wife that at the end of the day, I kind of hear voices because I might start my day writing like a witch for Bubble Witch, so about magic spells and cauldrons. And then I might spend the afternoon as somebody in the Farm Hero Saga with this yeehaw and howdy y'all, how y'all doing? And then I might end up the day uh, in, in Candy Kingdom, which is a much, much quirky, completely different vibe. So I get to use all these different tones of voice along the day. So that's super interesting. And I mean, I get to play games for a living. So I, make, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I help make games. And uh, that means I, I need to play more games to understand what works and what doesn't. So that's always fun. Yeah, you know, working in a gaming company sounds like the dream. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a fun. It's it's definitely a fun experience. It's something completely, completely different. So we touched on really interesting points because uh, King have many different games, as you mentioned, and each game has its own voice and tone. So I would love to learn more about creating the content style guide and documenting it for each uh, game by Candy Crush. 
Yeah, it's a very interesting process because we don't have like a definite style guide. We have like different style guides that follow the same procedure. What I mean by that is we have, for example, the original brand style guide, which tells everything about what the brand is and how it looks like and how it speaks and everything. Even to the marketing department. Exactly. Normally the marketing department. Then you have the narrative design guides, which are the narrative designers are part of the games team and they are the ones that create the whole universe and the characters and the actual tone of voice for the game inside. So for us UX writers who write for interaction, we have to sort of balance both of those guidelines, right? Let's say our, our annex to those guidelines, which is like, how do we write for interaction using the brand voice and using the characters, right? So we have to make sure, that, again, like I was saying, that we don't go over into the let's be clever and funny side, but that we are actually clear and that people understand what they have to do. So once we have what the brand guidelines are and once we have what's the tone of voice of the game, we sort of create a mix of those two and we make sure how that translates into writing for UX. And it's all uh, internal? And, uh... Yes, these are, these, are, these are all internal and every single game has, has their own. Their own guide. And it's a living document, which, mean, yes. which means you, you, you keep it updated and you take off stuff Correct. that is not relevant anymore. Correct. And, and sometimes, for example, especially on like the case of Candy Crush, it's a franchise. We have Candy Crush Saga, which is the original game. Then we have Candy Crush Soda Saga. We have Candy Crush Jelly Saga. And then we have the new Candy Crush Friends. They all share the same universe. Mm-hmm. So which some of the characters are shared, but then some new characters come in. That's why when new characters come in, we have this like character sheets that explain to us what's their personality, how they speak, how they react. And obviously that's new, so that has to be implemented. So that's why it's, it's always a leaving document and it's, it's always nice to go and see what the narrative design team is creating. We tend to speak a lot to them because I always tell them, for us to be able to tell your story or to continue what you're doing from the narrative side, we need to understand. So when that is inside the interactions, that's also reflected. And you told me a really cool story before about how you wrote some kind of identification in the voice and tone of the queen, I think it yes. was. Yes, and how, how should you kind of lure people in the app in different <laughs> kinds of touch points? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that was a funny story because when we launched uh, Candy Crush Jelly, normally we have push notifications that tell people what's new in the game and that they entice or they tell them that they what's new and what's happening in the game so they can come back and play, right? Part of what we call the welcome. Normally what we do is we grab the tone of voice of, of the game and we explain in little chunks of information because, I mean, push notifications are very small, sort of like a B-side of the onboarding, right? Like how, what do you need to do to create a, a booster, which are the power-ups? How do you get more lives? How do you pass uh, tips to pass some sort of level? We normally do this, right? So it helps. It's the welcome flow, but it's also sort of like an onboarding into the game. Mm-hmm. And normally it's the game that's speaking, right? So to make the story go on is for Candy Crush Jelly, the nemesis or the person you're trying to beat is the Jelly Queen, right? We had to sort of create this character. She's very pompous. She's very mean, right? <laughs> she'll speak in third person and, and she'll treat you like she's better than everybody. I was, I was discussing with, with the team. I was like, what if we try something different and instead of the game trying to onboard you is she'll be the one onboarding you, but by challenging you as a player to see how good you really are. She'll speak to you like, my moves are royal. Let's see what you've got, this type of thing. It was really fun because we had this, this, whole, this whole flow of push notifications that ended up in the game and the game continued, right? The story continued. But what was really fun is after a while, like after a week, I started going into Twitter and these hashtags 
started coming up and popping up. And I mean, I would have like close to a hundred tweets about people either loving or hating, like with screenshots of the notification. So it's really interesting. I mean, I've been writing for like 10 years now and I've never had so much love and hate at the same time for <laughs> so many small, so like like small lines of text. So it's, it's, it's nice that the fact that people are receiving this and they're taking the time to take a screenshot put it up online and share their love or hate for something that that means they're connected and in the end that's that's what makes us all human so it's, it's very interesting you know love and hate is uh, love or hate is much better than ignore right exactly definitely. and the fact that people are having emotions toward your writing and they feel like that queen is actually speaking to them this is exactly what uh, if you ask me what you writing is all about making people feel engaged within your product, within your, your experience that you're trying to create. And yeah, and also you can see it in the group when people posting different kinds of microcopy examples that they have actual feelings towards it. And if we need to think about the future of UX writing, I think it's going to, to take much broader scope. Like you've seen probably in that movie, Her. Have you seen this movie, by the way? I haven't. I'm the only human being that hasn't seen it. I mean, I know the premise and I know what it's about, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, so we have this dude. It's like a little bit this utopian, futuristic kind of movie. And this dude is buying himself this operating system. And that operating system is uh, the voice is, uh, it can choose the voice, but this is the voice of uh, Scarlett Johansson. And he developed an actual relationship with her. He speaks with her and she helped him with his life. She helped him with his mails and she makes his life so much better. And uh, this is very like extreme example of where this thing can go, obviously. But uh, just thinking about, you know, with all of the things happening right now with IoT, the Internet of Things, we're going to have smart cars, we're going to have smart uh, coffee machines, we're going to have smart fridges. And it would be very interesting to see how we're going to communicate with all of those devices around us and how those devices are going to make us feel better with ourselves and in order to actually make people feel better with themselves we, we would have we would must have more experience like user experience people which is uh, research people writers designers people that will craft a positive experience with all of the technology that is going on because it might have a very negative effect if the wrong people were going to take this responsibility but it might also have really positive effects as well. It's really hard to predict the future, but in the end, is, I think the key is what you said, is like the, rep- the responsibility falls on, on us, right? Everybody that works designing these products has to make sure that whatever they're doing is not following any dark patterns and what they're doing is actually providing a solution to a problem people have. So it's very interesting. I mean, again, I'm not a futurist and, and I, it's really hard to say what's coming, but we, we're we seeing these trends of this voice interface coming out and popping up. And I mean, you've got the Alexas, you've got the Google Home Kids and all mm-hmm. these things that are based on voice, right? So if you think about voice is going to be the new interface when re- in reality, words and voice have been with us forever. I mean, it's the first type of things after pictograms that we started, we, even before pictograms started coming up. It was the way we communicated. Human beings have been using voice for centuries. So it's something we know really well. And we have to make sure that when we translate that to the voice interfaces, it keeps in that sense of humanity, that sense of like, how are we going to help each other? That is not just us screaming orders at something to do but rather how we create this relationship that it's it's something that as a user, I'll get some help, but it also feels like the machine is really actually trying to help me and not just like 
taking down whatever I'm I'm screaming at it, right? So I mean, right, like, like those country shaming. Do you know those country? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 not saying that. I, well, I don't know that we're gonna end up having like a, a romance with machines, like in, in the case of the movie. But at least that um, when that when when you speak to that home device or that to refrigerator or the car or anything, that the conversation actually flows. And I know that's very, very, very complicated for now because human language has all these subtleties. There's so much that goes into play, like the way our faces react, the way our, our body language is. So yes, we're far away from that, but coming and it'll come. And, and, and in the end, when you don't have a graphical user interface and voice is what's going to be driving those decisions, you need people that understand how language works in order to be designing those interfaces. So I'm not saying that designers will be out of a job because that's not true. We'll always need designers, we'll always need research, and we'll always need dev and everybody in the product team. But that simply means that all of these people will have to up their skill when it comes to like how to leverage language and how to use words to make things happen. And that this is where uh, us writers are here to help. I agree 100%. This is exactly why we're doing what we're doing because I see that in the future, we're going to have so much more need for writers so much writers that, that would have to understand how language works and how to strategize even the whole um, the whole interaction with, with the with the people. And I also believe that you know people are are visual creatures. So we, we will have also user interfaces that are going to be visual, but it's not going to be a voice interface or a visual interface. It's going to be some kinds of a mix. Complementary, definitely. Complementary, just, for sure. Just let me just let me make one point because when you say writers, I really want to stress out that it's it's not just see the the job is not just about writing. So there's so much more to it. So it's not about bringing writers into the mix. It's bringing people that have the skill of writing, but that also understand what user experience is and the fundamentals and how people interact with their devices. Because someone that's really good at writing is they need to understand this in order to actually be able to write micro copy because it's not the same thing. I mean, doing a jump from copywriting, like from advertising or from marketing or content writing into UX writing, is something that you really have to think about and something you have to learn and read about in order to understand because it's not the same type of writing. Right. And this is the reason that in our training program, every student have two mentors, one product designer, which is me, and one is a UX writer, which is uh, Greta. And it's really important to teach writers. Most of the students are copywriters or content marketers that want to get into UX. And we teach them everything we know about like product and how to create digital experiences, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, and it's great. And and they also have to read about not just how to write. They need to read about human-computer interaction. They need to read about information architecture. They need to read about patterns. They need to read about psychology. There's so much stuff behind why things look the way they look and that you need to understand what's the purpose in order to follow those patterns. It's not like you're going to come here and just like write your way to it. No, it's you need to understand the why of the things in order to speak the same language as your designer to eventually create or design a product that acts actually helpful. What was your journey getting into UX writing? How did you learn all of it? I'm guessing pretty much the same as most of the people that you see in your courses. It's like I come from an advertising background. So I used to work as a copywriter and I used to write... TV ads and radio ads. I used to write radio ads. That's a long time ago. That's cool, man. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> that's where I come from. And they moved from Mexico over to Spain. I shifted over to writing more copywriting for like marketing departments inside tech companies because the, the advertising world back when I came here, it was just like, it was 2009. So there was like nothing. It was 
crisis all over the place, but tech companies were still like growing, right? When I came, I started understanding and seeing like all these different other skill sets, right? I started seeing like designers and, but not just graphic designers from like the ad agency background, but like UX designers. I started talking to like business development people. I started talking to developers. So things were completely different from what I used to do. And that was, that was interesting. But then when I moved over here to King, I started working as an actual UX. Well, it wasn't called a UX writer back then, but I was part of the UX team. So I would be working on the text for the things that would go into the product. So Wait, that, so I have a question. I want to stop you real quick. So sure, sure, before sure. you came into King, what was yes. the job description or what were you actively looking for and how did that connection happen? Okay, actually King recruited me from the previous company I was. I was a copywriter at the previous company and they recruited me as a, as a copywriter. Uh-huh. But uh, when, when I came into, into the... The UX team, it was like the, the UX copywriter. So that I, I didn't know it, it was a thing. So yes, I did some of the copy for marketing, but I started working also a lot with product. So for me, it was sort of like an accident type of thing because I landed here and I had to learn so much things like by asking a gazillion questions to the team around me to understand what was the, the main difference, right? Because uh, there's always a story like uh, Sergi Vila, who's our principal designer here, he would always like laugh at me because I would start writing and I would start going into like this very nice language like very sales marketing type of copywriting language and mm-hmm. then I would start to explain and then he would just like look at me it's like dude you're not writing a book now you're not writing a TV ad you need to explain to people what they need to do and this is all the space you have we need to rewrite this so it that's the type of thing that started getting me thinking is like okay so I before I had to like really rack my brains to be clever and be quirky and be funny to like catch people's attention. Mm-hmm. But now I have to really understand what the full flow is and I need to make sure that whatever I write is clear, is concise and is useful. And I need to understand where these people are coming from and where they are going to in order mm-hmm. to give them the information they need. So yes. I get practice and practice and practice and practice and learning and asking a lot of questions to a lot of people and reading a lot that's how I started to understand and sort of like fall into what UX writing is. It was, it was, it was a happy accident in a way. I don't want to go back to advertising. <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> That's super inspiring, man. Like I'm really inspired here because, you know, many people need to fight their way to this kind of new field. I think that the first time people intro- was introduced to UX writing was in 2015. And it's so new and everybody are coming from different backgrounds. You have journalists, you have marketers, you have copywriters. And as you said before, it's all about learning like how the structure of a product works and how to zoom out of the product and kind of create your text and the copy for different contexts. And right, you're not reading, you're not writing a book here. You just need to make it short. You need to make it concise. And it's about changing your mindset from everything you knew. As a writer, exactly, and and becoming some kind of a product designer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a, in a way, I mean, we we don't pretend to 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 be product designers, but but it's a product designer that, 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 that your craft that is what works. Yes, yes, exactly. Our 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 unit, our your design unit, our words. So it's Scott Kubi has this really really nice quote. I'm going to paraphrase that. He says something around the lines that words are like the most powerful design material out there because they load fast. They are very easy to use. Uh, they can convey very complex meaning into a very tiny space. And uh, the last bit that I love, he says, is like the best thing of all is you don't have to invent them. They are already there. You only have to use them, right? So 
like, I mean, I think I've heard you said this before, like product designers have pixels as their unit. We have words as our unit, right? So it's, yes, they're actually building blocks. Another thing is like, yes, we need to learn, but we also need to share you. But I think it's very important for the people that we've been doing this for a little bit longer than the rest, that we're open to sharing what we've learned, what are the mistakes we've done, and what are the actually wins that we've gotten to help more people, one, understand what the craft is all about, and two, help them progress into their careers. So yes, it's about learning, but it's also about sharing. 100%, because right now, 21 century uh, learning, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to change the way people learn things, because in the future, you're going to have so much new positions. You're going to have, first of all, a lot of people are going to lose their, their jobs. We need to, we need to talk about that. Uh, the, like drivers are not going to be part of the equation anymore and, and so on and so on. And uh, people would have to adjust and they would have to adjust fast. And they wouldn't have time to go to the university again for like four or five years or anything like that. So it's really important that every person that is having like any kind of experience or practice in a job, like a position that is relatively new, it's really important to kind of create a community around it and just share case studies and experience and what works and what doesn't work so we, we can all evolve together as a community. That is definitely correct. Yeah, and I'm seeing that you're, you're doing that in Barcelona. I would love it if you will tell the listeners a little bit about what you're doing in Spain and where they can find you online if they want to reach you. Sure. Um, well, with uh, some few fellow UX writers here, both in Barcelona and in Madrid, we started a, a group that's called uh, UX Writers Spain. I'll definitely send you over the link so you can include it on the notes for the show for both of our meetup group. Our meetup group is right now only based in Barcelona, but we do have a, uh, a Twitter and a Facebook group where we are constantly sharing information. We're constantly sharing information that we find in Spanish because it's really rare to find UX writing content in Spanish. We only have this uh, great blog from Blanca. She's la, la, la UX Escritora, and, and she has a really nice blog in Spanish. She's part of the group uh, that I also share that. So our, our idea is to, for now, it's a very, we just started this year. We've created a couple of meetups. The idea is to be creating two sets of, of, of types of events. One event that's a little bit broader for like a wider audience to get people to know what the craft actually is. And again, what are the benefits of introducing UX writing into your product teams? And the other ones that we're going to start doing also are going to be smaller workshops that are going to be based on specific things we get asked a lot as a UX writer. So for new people, like how do they get into discovering how to do forms or how are error messages constructed or story framing or how to test copy via UX research. So we're planning out different events throughout the year in order to people want either to get to know what the craft actually is or those that are already interested or part of the craft get to know a little bit more and they can hone up their skills. So eventually we'll be rolling those out. So definitely, yes, follow us on Twitter and on the meetup group to, to get more information about it. That's excited. So people all over Spain could come to your events and learn about the process, the UX writing process of uh, the leading UX writers of Spain. This is exciting stuff, Mario. Yeah, and in the end is we're trying to, we're trying to build a community again to help each other because we find that global wise there's a lot of information but there's not very much information in spanish so we're trying to create that also sort of like a bridge between two worlds amazing yes they can also uh, join the facebook group that uh, i've seen that you've posting a lot of uh, great content over there as well i will add all of the links in the show notes and um, if people want to reach you personally where would be the best uh, way to find you I think Twitter. Um, I think Twitter is a is a great great way of of following me. Um, again, I'll, I'll, we can share the link. It's at a 
C-H-I-T-E-V-A. I just realized it's complicated to say. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, I will add the link for sure. I will add the link and uh, I'll share a, a link to my website also so that you can find out the things that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing is if you have any questions, reach out. If it's to me or if it's to you, Yuva, or if it's to any UX writer that you know out there, reach out and ask questions. People tend to be super nice when you're asking and, 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 and that's the way we all learn by, by sharing, right? So if we want to make this craft grow and if we want to make more companies understand why UX writing is important for the whole process, this is the only way to do it. So I think it's just reach out and, and like you said, either if, if you can meet up, buy, buy each other coffee or a beer or tea or whatever or hot cocoa, I don't know, whatever you like it. Just <laughs> chat, have a chat. Cool, Mario. So it was a pleasure to talk with you today. As always, thank you so much for, for having me. Eva. It's it's a pleasure, and uh, hope this is the first of, of of many episodes. Yes, we have a awesome. pretty impressive lineup. Great, it's great to hear, man. It's great to hear. Cool, man. So thanks. Thank you. Come on, Ilan. Oh, I swear, what it means at this moment, you mean everything. All right. So, um, as you probably know, we want to bring. Elon Musk to Writers in Tech podcast. So if you happen to know him personally, please send him this episode and tell him, hey, Elon, this guy really wanted, want to have an interview with you. And if you don't know Elon Musk personally, please post this episode on social media and call Elon Musk. You can tag him or you can just hashtag come on Elon and hopefully we can bring him to the podcast so you are the listeners. You could enjoy our conversation about the future of being a writer in tech and the future of voice interface design and writing different kinds of interfaces. That's about it. I had a lot of fun with Mario from King. If you have any more questions, please, please, please let me know and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Writers in Tech. If you like our podcast, then leave us a rating and subscribe so you're updated when a new show comes out. For more UX writing goodies, sign up for our UX writing newsletter at uxwritinghub.com. Thanks again. And that's all for this week.